Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, Cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marshall McLean Agency and the host of Chatting Cyber Podcast. Today, we have a true cyber celebrity and the first ever returning guest to the Chatting Cyber Podcast. Marula, thank you for coming, Maria. Wonderful to be here again, Mark. Always good to see you. Uh, it's, gr- it's great to have you. And, and thank you again for coming back on the show. We really appreciate your insights. And your first show was probably one of the most uh, a downloaded podcast that we had to date. So we're really looking forward to today's conversation. Um, so Maria, you know, I know there's been a lot of changes, um, um, you know, where you started in DFS coming into the, um, started, I'm rather, started in, in, in private law going into DFS and now thinking about your consulting practice. Can you just tell us what it was like going from the private sector to the public sector back to private? Sure. I mean, I've done it a couple of times. Um, spent most of my career actually in the private sector, law firm, consulting, but also uh, in government. Um, you know, as a young lawyer, and then you know, more experienced lawyer, both at DFS and before that in the Attorney General's office. And you know, for me, it's always been you know a pretty smooth transition because you know I'm a fan of public service. I think it's an important part of what we all you know, should be, you know, dedicated towards. Uh, but it's obviously, you know, a different side of, of things. But I think even in the private sector, you know, I've always supported, you know, public service by, you know, even the work that I do for obviously now, you know, private companies uh, and understanding the private um, and the public uh, side of things, I think is important for both. So sure. when I'm, you know, now in the private sector, the fact that I had that deep, Uh, public service, I think is a great uh, aid to my private clients. And likewise, when I was in the public sector, like when I was DFS superintendent, the fact that I had represented, you know, companies for many, many years in the private sector, I think allowed me to communicate better with the regulated entities and really understand business and finance and everything else. So I think it works both, both ways. Absolutely. So Maria, if, if our clients or prospects on the, on the call today that are listening to the podcast wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way? Is it email, LinkedIn, website? Um, all of the above. I mean, my website is www.vulloadvisory.com, but also on LinkedIn. But thank you, Mark. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. So let's jump into it. So when you were at DFS, um, you know, what were some of the key takeaways when you were there, other than the massive legislation that you passed regarding Part 500? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, Part 500, and you know, you are such a cyber insurance expert that you know, you know, Part 500 was a big deal in cyber. Uh, we had that, um, you know, task at the time. There was so much going on, and I finalized that regulation in 2017, and it was first in the nation at the time, and it is still a leading force. Uh, and you just see cybersecurity continuing. Um, but there was a lot going on in the three years that I was there. There was a lot going on in health insurance. There was a lot going on in life insurance. And there was a lot going on in banking, um, you know, at the time. So it's a it's a very fulsome agency. It was, you know, a highlight of my career and very proud of all the work that my team and I did when we were there. Sure. So so Maria, what is what is DFS's responsibility for helping manage cyber risk? 
So look, DFS has a huge responsibility. It, you know, there's about 1,400 employees and uh, you know, large banks and insurance companies that are chartered um, and licensed by DFS, which is you know, obviously New York State's uh, regulator. And so you know, DFS is responsible for the safety and soundness of you know the banks and the insurance companies that are state chartered. So uh, and cyber risk is a is you know right now you know if not number one very close to number one of risk and that creates a financial risk. If you have a significant cyber cybersecurity attack, that's a financial attack. If you have a ransomware attack that stops your business, that has a huge impact, if not a closing impact, on your bottom line. And DFS as a regulator is very, very concerned with um, you know, the financial soundness of banks and insurance companies. Why? Because there's all these people out there that rely on financial services for their banking, for their insurance policies. Um, and so it, you know, DFS has a huge role and that's why we took a leadership role when I was there in, in having a cybersecurity regulation that was strong yet doable uh, to ensure that the banks and insurance companies had policies, programs, and procedures that, you know, met the task. Sure. So, so Maria, I know DFS just recently came out with some guidance around ransomware for financial services companies. Um, can you just give us a little bit, a high level about what that announcement was all about? Sure. And, um, you know, I applaud DFS for doing this. Um, you know, it's one of the things that I think is really important for regulators to do. And when we did the cybersecurity regulation, one of the things that we wanted to do with the notice provision, the cybersecurity regulation has a notice provision that requires DFS regulated entities to provide notice to the department within 72 hours of the determination of an incident to provide that notice to DFS. And incidents are either successful or unsuccessful uh, breaches. And part of the purpose of that was for DFS to collect information from its regulated entities so that it could provide information to the regulated um, entities and the public. And this ransomware um, you know, guidance document that they released is uh, in part based upon that notice um, because they collected information from their regulated institutions. In fact, they indicated uh, that there were 74 of the regulated institutions that had suffered some form of ransomware attacks, uh, 17 of which had paid some ransom. So that alone, you know, ransomware, and we all know this is a significant uh, thing. And I think what's really helpful about the ransomware guidance is that, you know, it's providing guidance to regulated institutions about the seriousness of the threat of ransomware and ways that, really importantly, ways that regulated institutions can prevent it and can mitigate it and what they need to do in ways that are all consistent with Part 500, because Part 500 requires it. And so the more that you follow the regulation, the more that you have security and everything else, the less likely it will be that you will suffer one. Or if you do, there'll be mitigation measures that won't have it be as serious an impact. And then of course, incident response and things like that. So it's pretty comprehensive, but um, you know, an excellent um, you know, piece of regulatory guidance. Sure. There, there's been a lot of calls for some of the federal agencies to be providing uh, additional guidance to help combat cyber risk or ransomware as a whole, you know, being it's now becoming a systemic type of issue. 
uh, for multiple industries. Do you feel that the government should be stepping in at this point, or is this a private uh, sector problem? No, I think the government plays a huge role and must play a huge role. And in fact, you know, the federal agencies after the solar winds attack, which was like a huge attack, you know, through a third party, you know, vendor. Uh, and, you know, the Federal Reserve came out with something, the FDIC came out with something, the federal government came out with something. And actually, President Biden in May came out with an executive order, a very, very significant executive order on cybersecurity that, you know, we haven't seen, you know, a presidential executive order on cybersecurity like that before and is requiring very, very expansive measures throughout the federal government, because, of course, the federal government has been a victim. Uh, But what I think, you know, as a matter of policy, I think what's significant along the lines of what you your question asks, Mark, of, of President Biden's executive order is that he specifically says that the government and private industry must collaborate uh, together uh, in a partnership uh, on cybersecurity. And he says that. And so I think that's very important, but he also makes it very clear the federal government itself and all the agencies need to have a unified uh, approach to it, including in their contracting because the contractual provisions are all different, but it's a very extensive um, executive order. And I think certainly the federal banking industry, you know, agencies, um, also need to do you know more on that, and obviously that's part of my expertise is banking, so I focus on it. But there's a, this is a very global, you know, full full on effort by um, the federal government, and I applaud the president for doing that as well. Absolutely. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit. We've been talking sure. about cyber for the most part, but you know, anecdotally, given you know your background and your experience, what's really keeping financial services companies up at night in 2021? Yeah. So, you know, really interesting because, I mean, first of all, you know, obviously we mentioned cybersecurity and it really is, you know, such a threat and it's a threat to safety and soundness and, you know, just the of the of the industry. Uh, Obviously, we are coming out of a pandemic and, um, you know, the financial services industry, you know, certainly, you know, the banking industry survived okay from that. um, you know, actually, you know, did pretty well, you know, but I think there's still uh, an insurance, you know, in different parts of insurance has, you know, has suffered, um, you know, from it. But I think, you know, 2021, you know, there's still, you know, open questions about financial services post pandemic. Uh, you know, we're seeing increased rates in a lot of different areas, um, you know, as a result of that. But I think, um, you know, th- th- those are things that uh, people are looking at. But I think, um, you know, if you're looking at financial services, there's a lot going on with technology, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, and, and where this will all iron itself out, um, you know, you know, you can see the, the huge and tremendous growth in technology that was pre-existing the pandemic, but the pandemic, I think, even accelerated the growth of technology firms. Sure. And in the financial services industry, we call that fintech and tech. Uh, and whether those are really disruptors of the traditional banks and insurance companies or whether they're going to partner with them in ways and, and how that all pans out. And I think you're seeing that in the United States Congress and in the president and, and how these things are uh, going to work their way out. Will regulation be equal? You know, the traditional banks are saying, wait a second, they, you know, these, com- these companies should be regulated like we're regulated. And I think the current administration has been very clear on, 
um, you know, that there should be regulation of these entities if they're serving consumers. And I think generally speaking in financial services, consumer protection is going to be a big issue for the Biden administration. They've already said it. Um, they've made, you know, race equity a big thing as they should. Um, fair lending will be a big issue, you know, uh, and, you know, usury rates and, and things like that, that, that target uh, communities, um, you know, will be something. And of course, anybody targeted by the health crisis, they're looking at that by the COVID-19 crisis. So there's a lot going on. Uh, I think you'll see some enforcement over time. That always takes a while. Um, sure. Sure. You know, um, they, they came out with uh, yesterday something on antitrust uh, in technology Ooh. firms and other things, um, even in banking mergers, you know, you'll see more antitrust enforcement. You know, there's a lot going on typical in changing um, political administrations. Um, sure. So, um, you know, always good to kind of follow the news and, uh, you know, keep abreast of um, all of the activity. Sure. Um, so Maria, um, uh, two, two, two more questions for you. Sure. So we spoke about crypto, right? So I yeah. know as a crypto, a, a, a magic ball, magic eight ball when it comes to it, but do you have any thoughts on this space, whether it's from just the expansion from a regulatory perspective, just any, any. Yeah. I mean, look, crypto is, has exploded over the past several years. You know, when I became superintendent, the bit license was, you know, first, uh, issued by my predecessor and we were ahead of the game uh, in actually licensing, you know, uh, what were then just, you know, uh, Bitcoin, you know, exchanges and sure. it has grown, you know, so large now. Uh, and of course the trading prices, you know, the speculation on purchasing it has grown uh, beyond what I had imagined could happen. Uh, will it stop? I don't know, but now you're seeing a number of things you know, happening. Um, first of all, it's incredibly global, but you're seeing, you know, many, um, you know, very sort of, um, you know, sophisticated institutions getting involved in the space. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. a very significant uh, development, but you're seeing the government responding to that. You're seeing the government saying, we want banks and others to, you know, tell us and disclose their holdings in it. You're seeing the Federal Reserve, the Vice Chair Quarles the other day testified and he said, no, we don't think the Federal Reserve is going to have some digital currency. Uh, we have the US dollar. Sure. So I think there's a, still a real definitional question uh, of what it is. And the other thing you see is, you know, the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020, which was hidden in the um, Defense Authorization Act uh, which is, you know, the end of year kind of, you know, authorization of funding for the military. This act was in there. There is a provision in there about virtual currency and really making clear what FinCEN had actually done by rule was that virtual currency is part of this for purposes of registering with FinCEN. And they basically give it a definition of all definitions. Sure, you know, sure. but what the bottom line is, it has you have to register, you have to comply with anti-money laundering laws. And, you know, it's it's basically, you know, today I would say if you're operating any of these, you should assume it's a currency, it's a commodity, and it's a security. Uh, because in some ways, you know, depending upon its usage, it's all of those things. 
Um, and, um, you know, it's, it, it's uh, it, but right now it doesn't seem like the United States uh, is going to make it a U.S. Uh, digital uh, currency, but the federal government is looking at this and the federal banking agencies are looking at it very carefully. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a fascinating space um, to follow. And then last question, Maria, is there anything that I should have asked you today that I forgot to or didn't touch upon? Oh, my gosh, there's so many things going on. Um, <laughs> Loaded so question, right? going on, I guess, you know, so that's a really hard. Um, that's a really hard question. I guess what I would say is because, Mark, you're such an expert in the field of cyber insurance, what I would, um, would say on this is that, you know, cyber insurance is such a critical issue for all companies. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, it goes hand in hand with cybersecurity protection. Uh, and we're seeing right now, and we've seen that, you know, cyber insurance has, you know, uh, stepped up to the plate in a lot of cases, including with the ransomware. But, um, you know, companies, you know, this goes hand in hand. So the stronger your cybersecurity protections, the better able you are to get a good cyber insurance policy. And the last thing that I wanna see as a former insurance regulator is for insurance companies to not be in this space or for the pricing to be such that people can't buy cyber insurance or for cyber insurance to fall into solely say the excess lines market sure, or, sure. or the capital markets or something else. You know, I see it as a, um, you know, it's similar to problems with, you know, wildfires or flood protection or things like that is that when it gets, you know, too risky for insurance companies, then they get out of the space. It's a great space for companies to be involved in, but the companies that are being insured really need to have cyber protections sure. to make them the best insurable uh, and to get the best, you know, products and policies you know, where it comes down to what their, you know, deductibles and coinsurance and, and obviously, you know, pricing will be. So, um, so I applaud you for all the work that you do on that. Well, thank you, Maria. And thank you for everything that you've done for our nation. Um, it would very much appreciate it. And like I said, happy I, to be here. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate everything you've done. And thank you for coming on and chatting cyber with us. Great. Be well, everybody.